Well, today, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Psalm chapter 1. We're continuing in a series called The Pathways of Victory. How many of you know a couple of weeks ago we, ce- we celebrated the greatest victory that the world has ever seen? The greatest victory is this, that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and then he came up out of the grave. Listen, church, you ought to get excited in knowing that the grave could not hold Jesus. It could not hold him down, and on the third day, he got up out of the ground, victorious over death, sin, and the grave. I tell you, you got reason to celebrate, but if we see the victory of that moment, and we, we hold that as the pinnacle of Christian experience, then we look at the body of Christ. In some way, our lives ought to look like that victory. In some way, our lives should reflect the glorious victory purchased by Christ. Now, That doesn't always happen in our lives, if we're honest. We're not always experiencing everything that Christ purchased for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. We don't don't do that. And and many times, we, we just don't know how. We don't understand really, okay, how do I get a hold of that victory? How do I get that kind of transformative victory into my life? Well, you know, uh, you have to begin to feed on the right things. And the right thing is the Word of God. Anybody ever feed on some bad things? Come on. Come on, let's be honest. We haven't always been feeding on the right things. Speaking of feeding on bad things, um, what do you call gluten-free, sugar-free, chocolate-free brownies? Compost, all right. That's what that is. Today, I want to give you something a little better than that. This is not a gluten-free sermon. This is a full gluten sermon, okay? You're going to get the full effects of this. If you will receive it, if you can actually get it into your heart and your spirit, one of the greatest, one of the greatest chapters describing victory in the life of a follower of Christ is actually found in Psalm chapter 1. And Psalm chapter 1, it's, it's wonderful, and it, it, it gives this beautiful uh, poetic description of what it looks like to walk in victory. And it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be, here's what he looks like, he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So we see this victorious, this is beautiful poetic language saying, hey, this person is like a tree uh, planted by the rivers of living water. He says, but here's what happens. 
They produce fruit in their life. Uh, the leaves, which is the far reaches of their life, it says they don't wither. What does that mean? It means that, that the far reaches of their life are filled with grace. And this says, and whatever he does prospers. That word prosper here, it means that it breaks out. Their life breaks out of the patterns that perhaps you saw molded for you by your grandparents. Man, they were alcoholics or they had this trip up or this, this thing going on in their life. And I'm here to tell you, listen, you are not doomed to live in that when you see that there is a blessing that comes and a victory that comes from God. You can look like this one who is planted by the rivers of living water, experiencing the full measure of God's grace and victory. But what's the key? The key here is the fact that this tree, this person, is planted by the river. Now, in both Ezekiel 47 and Revelation chapter 22, and I'm not taking you there this week for the sake of time, especially in Revelation chapter 22, you find that there is a river that flows from God's throne. And it's not like our natural river, which meanders and kind of follows the course of the land, and it takes left turns and right turns. No, in heaven, God paves the streets with gold, he paves the streets with gold. They're streets made to walk in. And in heaven, the river of God, according to Revelation chapter 22, flows in the place where people are meant to walk in the middle of the street. So the river is flowing down the street. There's trees on both sides. Those trees in Revelation 22, they produce fruit every month. The leaves are given for the healing of the nations. There's all kinds of good things coming through those who are what? Planted by the river of God's presence. Listen, this is the key, people. Real change happens when you experience God's presence. Now let's answer this question. How do I get God's presence in my life? It's through one word, grace. It's through one word, God's undeserved, unearnable favor. Well, that's great. Uh, it's good news that uh, I, I can't earn it. That's good. And so I just receive it. That's wonderful. But how, after I give my life to Christ, do I then walk in greater places of victory? How do I live in the victory? I, I know I'm a, on my way to heaven, but how do I live victorious, looking like Christ did when he came out of the grave? How do I do that? Here's how you do it. You position yourself in the streets, these places that God has paved, and filled with his presence, and filled with his grace. Grace is how God changes us. I mentioned this last week. Have you ever tried to change anybody? How did that work out? How, did you, have you tried to just change yourself? Terrible. Not a good track record. But oh, God is batting 100% when it comes to grace. When grace comes into a life, when God moves into a life, those lives are transformed. Why? Because changing the human condition is the work of God. 
And if you and I are going to live in greater victory, all we have to do is get into the places, the streets, the pathways where God is moving. And I mentioned this last week. I mentioned the fact that in Psalm 1, Meditation was the name of the street, but I just kind of glanced over it, and, and some of you, I, I kind of came with the conviction that you heard about meditation, but you know, what you remember is my comment about Rafiki, and you don't really know what meditation really is. And we talked about it, but I want to give you kind of what is the effect of meditation so that you know that I'm walking in it. By the way, it's mentioned uh, like 59 times in the Bible, 58 rather, 58 times the Bible uses words for meditation. And they, they mean, it means to murmur, it means, it means to ponder, imagine, uh, mutter, speak, study, talk, utter. There's another word, that uh, there are two words that are primarily used. It means to ponder, converse with oneself, utter, commune. It even means this in Psalm 13, it means complaint. Meditation really means, like, that, like in Psalm 13, uh, David says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? By the way, listen to me. The reason why this is attached to meditation is because complaints are meant to be taken to God, not taken to people. Complaints are not meant to be taken to people. By the way, as much as you're happy about the changes in Twitter, complaints are not meant to be taken to the public square. That really won't produce change. Here's what, here's what you need to know about your complaining. Our God can handle your complaints. God wants you to be honest. If you feel forgotten, you don't go to everybody around me. Man, I just feel forgotten by God. And then somebody, you'll finally find somebody to agree with you. I know, I feel forgotten by God. And then you'll find a third person. You'll be like, I know, I feel forgotten by God. And suddenly, let's make the first Citrus County Forgotten by God Club. Instead of saying, God, I know the truth, but this is how I feel right now. I need, I need to come into your presence. I need to come and get your truth. And Lord, would you, would you help me? And this is part of meditation. Lord, I'm going to take this to you, and I know that you'll hear me and that you'll move. You see this word for meditation, it also means to muse, to pray, speak, talk with, devotion, contemplation. And it's used over and over and over again. 58 times the Bible uses these words for meditation. And let me just give you a few of them. Joshua 1.8, it says this, the, the, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, at that, that you may observe to do all 
uh, that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That's as Joshua is about to step into the promises. And boy, if you're single, you ought to really like this verse. Genesis 24, 63 says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Oh, I can tell there ain't a lot of Bible scholars in here, especially no single ones. Because if you were single and you knew what that meant, oh, he's out in the field and meditating on God. You say, the camels are coming. What does that mean? Oh, if you knew who was on the camel, you see his promised wife was coming. His blessing was coming. Oh, one day I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach that sermon. Your camel is coming. (laughs) Once you get this message down on meditation. Because without meditation, your camels will stay where they belong. You see, Isaac wasn't seeking what was on the camel. He was seeking the God who created the camel that will come and bring him a blessing. That would come and bring him a wife. Listen, single people, listen to me. I know what you want. You want a husband or a wife? Hallelujah. Don't spend your time seeking that. Seek God and he'll bring the one that is running after God, who's doing the things of God. And by the way, women, women, listen to me. There's no such thing as missionary dating. Oh, I'll get them saved. No, no, you're going to end up in problems. All right, listen to me. What was he doing? He was meditating. How many of you would like God's promises to come into you? Well, what unlocked it for Isaac? Meditating. Psalm 77, 12, it says, I also will meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Psalm 104, 34 says, may my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. Psalm 63, 6 says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Now, the effects of Christian meditation, before we get back to that kind of simple definition we gave you last week, the effects of Christian meditation are this. It leads to the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. This is the effect of Christian meditation. This is what it will produce in your life. Now listen, if you're here and you say, I don't have a relationship with God, uh, just, just listen up. We're actually going to describe and we're going to teach how the body of Christ can actually live Isaiah 60. We're going to arise and shine for his light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen on us. Listen, church, we're to arise and shine. We never arise and shine to people who don't know Christ without the ability to hear his voice and do what he says we just blend in so when I say the word meditation some of you think about eastern meditation which is simply this the emptying of the mind God help us in our culture because it seems like everybody is into eastern meditation (laughs) they've been emptying their mind and boy whatever comes we'll just embrace that We'll just embrace whatever whim, whatever feeling. There is, uh, there is uh, I-, I saw a commercial that is actually uh, being played on uh, multiple platforms. And it's this high energy commercial that basically says, follow your body. 
Follow your body. That's the message. And you'll end up doing what's right. Well, I know that's wrong. I've seen the line around McDonald's. I know that's wrong. Empty parking lot up at Ruby Tuesdays, big old salad bar. Nobody's there. Following their body. Nobody's there. We got into all kinds of problems following our bodies and emptying our minds and just trying to say, well, whatever I feel, I'm going to do. Listen, there is a way that seems right unto man. Its end is death. Oh, but there is a way that leads to life, and that life is evermore. That way, his name is Jesus. It's his word. It's his will. It's his way. And God wants to show you how to live this way victoriously. Eastern meditation is the attempt to empty the mind. Christian meditation is the filling of your mind with God's word and God's way. It seeks to fill your mind and spirit. What are we filling it with? Listen, and we all need this, direction and revelation from God. We need direction and revelation from God. This is the purpose. This is is what we are saying. God, I want to meditate on you. Why? Because I need direction. How many of you have ever had some kind of problem? And maybe you were praying about it as a believer. You were asking, God, I really need a solution to this. Well, then you just go on about your personal responsibilities. You're doing whatever. And then it could be a day later, two days later, you're doing something totally unrelated. And then all of a sudden, an answer comes into your spirit. And you've been just holding that out before the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I need direction. I need direction. I'm just holding that out. And all of a sudden, it hits you. That is one of the benefits of meditating and filling your mind with God's word and God's way. And say, God, as I meditate, I want your direction and I want revelation of who you are. Now, a few years ago, We went away as a staff for a prayer and planning retreat. And these passages from the Gospel of John illuminated in my spirit. I mean, just just, uh, to the point that uh, Pastor Luke ended up writing a song out of this this kind of revelation. So uh, as we were meditating on the Lord and as we were seeking Him, suddenly God just just gave some real strong revelation. It changed my prayer life. And I hope today that as you hear about this, what comes out of this kind of meditating on these scriptures, that it will change your prayer life as well. You see, we seek direction and revelation from God. And in John 5, 19, a verse I had read so many times before, it says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, But what he sees the Father do, for whatever he, the Father, does, the Son also does in like manner. What is he saying? Is this some kind of special benefit as a result of him being the only Son of God? No, it is not. 
No, this is clearly saying that in the place of prayer and meditation, when he is before his father, Jesus sees the father in the spirit. Do you see this? He sees what the father is doing. Just a couple of, uh, of verses later in John 5.30 it says, I can of myself do nothing as I hear. I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own but the will of my Father who sent me. So Jesus was saying, not only do I see what the Father is doing, I hear what the Father is saying, and that is birth out of that place of intimacy. And then we find in John 14, as Jesus uh, continues to speak, he says, do you not, he says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. So now we see a connection between what Jesus has heard and what Jesus is doing. Let me say it to you this way. In the next chapter, Jesus invites us to abide in him the way that he abides in the Father. Let me suggest to you that when we learn how to pray this prayer, Father, show me what you're doing. Father, let me hear what you are saying. Suddenly, we're going to leave these times of meditation, these times of contemplation before God. And we might not leave with a revelation in that moment, but suddenly when that person we run into needs prayer, all of a sudden we can see the work that God has before us. That, that opportunity where we have a moment to be generous, now we see what the Father is doing. And then, and then all of a sudden, those words which ministered to us in that private secret place someone comes with the same issue and suddenly the words you heard from the father become life and bread to those who need the word do you understand church that as we meditate and as we fellowship and as we are in this pathway this is the victory that the world needs to see from the church the difference between those who have a relationship with God and those who do not is that we actually see and hear from our Father in heaven. And meditation is the vehicle that God has prepared for us to abide in his word and allow his word to abide in us. There was a, a man named Theophan the Recluse. He was a, a, a Russian monk who lived in the 1800s. And Theophan grew closer and closer to the Lord. And people called him Recluse because of the numbers of hours that he would spend in prayer and meditation. And then out of those times of fellowship with God, he would write books. These little books. People would, 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 would jot them down. He would give them away for free. He wasn't trying to sell books. He was saying, 
There is something that is coming out of me. There is something that, that is being produced in my life that has to be given away. He wasn't spending a lot of time with people. He would minister to people almost, almost every day. He lived a very simple life. When, when he wasn't fasting, uh, his, his lunch would be a, a glass of milk and one egg. He would have one cup of tea at four and eat no more. Why? Because he would be this person that was giving themselves to God. This is what he said about meditation. He said, meditation is to descend with the mind into the heart and there stand before the face of Jesus who is ever present and seeing with you. Oh, he was saying, listen, this is the place, meditation is the place where I take the things I have learned and I bring them into precious relationship with God. It's not that I just know things about God. Now I get to experience the fullness of those things that I know in the beauty of relationship with God. So while we can see all these wonderful benefits in this pathway of victory called uh, meditation, it begs this question, well, how do we do it? How do we do it? And I want to just give you some practical, just really, really practical things about how do we biblically meditate. Let me give you the first one. The first one is to take a small portion of Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to personalize it. Take a small portion of Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to, to personalize it. Sometimes uh, we're, we're, we're in such a rush to read large portions of Scripture, we never take time to take a small portion and say, okay, God, what do you want to speak to me? What do you want to reveal to me? Now, in all those years while I was uh, a youth pastor, uh, you know, I got a lot of opportunity to speak uh, to middle schoolers on campuses. It was always fun to start the year at FCA, and usually I would kick off uh, our, our campus clubs. And I came with a very spiritual message, introducing these kids to Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They say, hey, am I allowed to come to this meeting, and I say, well, this is Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and here's how we define athlete, anyone who showers. <laughs> because at this point, they need to be taught, you need to shower. There are some hormones, something's changing in middle school and you don't know this. In elementary school, you were so sweet. You stink now. You stink. <laughs> and so I took the analogy of those little stinkers, and I gave them something they needed, soap. Not physical soap. Listen, they could handle that at their house. No, they needed spiritual soap. And this is how I taught them. This is how I, I taught them medi meditation. Not the way I'm teaching you today, a little bit deeper, because you can understand these things. I just told them to use some soap. Grab a small scripture. Grab a scripture. S. O. What do you observe in this? 
Who's being spoken to here? Who's in this story? What's being said? A, how do I apply this to my life? What is the truth that I could apply to my life that would make me look a little more like Christ? Only I would say it this way, that would make me smell a little bit more like Jesus. And then P, you pray that truth back to God and he'll answer it. It's the soap. And so I would tell them, this is how you do this. This is how you apply it. And I would tell you today that today, if you will give yourself to taking a small portion of Scripture and, the, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to personalize it, you will experience the cleansing flow of God's presence. So that as you see the Scripture, you say, oh, I see what you are saying to me. Let me give you another, um, this is a practical practice that uses spiritual principles. It comes from the Quakers, actually. You practice something called release and receive. They called it palms down, palms up. It's called release and receive. So when you're meditating and you see something that applies to your life, here's what you do. You take your hands and turn them upside down. And you say this. God, I am releasing this practice, this issue, this struggle to you. I'm releasing this to you because this doesn't honor you. And today, and I turn my hands over, I receive your grace to change. I receive your power that comes from this word. I receive your grace to look more like Christ. You release and receive. That's another little practical way that you can meditate let me give you another one and man parents don't shout me down because i'm preaching good you need you need you need to contemplate creation you know what that means put your phone down and go outside get away from everything that has been manufactured from man and go for a walk outside. No AirPods. Nothing to listen to. Nothing to entertain you. You, you take out your phone. I dare you, young people, leave it in the car. Leave it in the car. You'll leave it there. And then you'll go outside. And I think... Our whole nation would be in better shape. You know why? Because they will walk away fast and they'll walk right back fast. Oh, God. oh man. Oh. They got their heart rate up. Because they couldn't wait to get back to worship. Sometimes you just need to walk outside and let the wind tell you of the wonders of God. Sometimes you just need to let the birds sing of the glory of God. Sometimes you just, you've got to step outside and just say, I need to take a good look at creation because it reminds me of the creator.
And if you don't know who the creator is, go to John chapter 1. Because there is nothing that was created that wasn't created by Jesus. And it's in that moment where you see the greatness. Oh, sometimes you need to go to a stadium not to celebrate a football game or a baseball game, but to look at the sea of humanity and think to yourself, all of this came from one man and one woman created by God. You see, you, you need to contemplate creation and, and give attention to God's creative order. Romans 1 says it's speaking. And because it's speaking, we're all without excuse. So believers, let me give you just a few final thoughts. Now that I've given you just some practicals about how, why? Why do we meditate? And this is the part that I think each one of us needs to, get, to grab hold of. This is the value. This is what will really produce. This is what will lead you into victory. This is one of those paved paths. Meditation urges us to live in his presence in un uninterrupted fellowship. You see, we have some marching orders in the gospel. Matthew chapter 28 Beginning in verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And you're like, yep, okay, I'm going, I'm going to preach, I'm going to baptize, I'm going to teach. And then what you do is you stop before the end of the verse. And why so many in the church have actually started to try to go out and share the love of God and the kingdom of God. But they didn't continue in it. It's because they missed the end of the verse. In verse 20 it says, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. I've got some good news for you. Believer. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're doing, whatever God has called you to do in this life, you're not doing it alone. That dream that's in your heart that's bigger than you. You're not called to do that on your own. You are walking with God. And meditation urges us to say, Lord, I'm going to live doing what you've called me to do. All while I know, God, you are with me. Oh, you are faithful. You will never leave me, never forsake me. You are here. See, meditation says, oh, I'm going to live in uninterrupted fellowship with God. Secondly, meditation causes us to become familiar with the presence of God. I've said this, but it bears repeating. My heart's been grieved sometimes sitting in a congregation listening to very well-meaning shepherds declare to their congregations. They will, I have heard many shepherds say this, well, I'm not a guy who hears God all the time. And my thought is, Oh, my heart breaks for that shepherd, and my heart breaks for that congregation. Because my Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, meditation leads you to becoming familiar with the voice of God. And I want to unapologetically say to you, 
you may hear me and you say, I, I, I heard, I saw, I, I, I felt the Lord say this to me. And you're, you may say to me, Pastor Otis, it seems like God is talking to you all the time. Unapologetically, He is. All the time. But, like any human being, I miss it. Sometimes, my frequency is tuned in on other things. And I miss it. But there is no shortage of God's voice. You never embrace a lie. See, you got to confront bad ideas. Bad ideas in the church are, oh, you will only hear God maybe once or twice in a lifetime. My Bible says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Boy, I tell you what, you ought to be following Jesus every day. That means there's something of the voice of God that's leading you in a direction, ordering your steps, and leading you in his righteousness. And meditation causes us to become familiar with the presence of God. He says, my sheep know my voice. Why? Because they've heard it regularly, so much so that with their eyes closed, they can know it's me. That when it's the faintest whisper, you could know. Remember a time that God used this, uh, it's an impression, women call it in intuition sometimes, and there's, there's just a knowing inside of you. When you walk with God, you ever known that you have to go somewhere and not know why you have to go? Has God ever told you, get up and go someplace? He told me that the other day. On the other side of town, he said, I want you to go to Bell's Outlet on the other side of town. I said, no. <laughs> no. No, I don't want to. He said, I want you to go to Bell's Outlet on the other side of town. I'm like, it's not even 15% off today. <laughs> and I drove over there and reluctantly walked in the door. And two women from our church were right behind the front door. And in that moment, I walked in the door and I said, I know why I'm here. I'm here to tell you that that familiarity with that voice is possible, but it comes through meditating and, and saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know your voice. You see, meditation positions us also to hear what God is specifically speaking to us as individuals. Sometimes we need a word from God. We need direction. And you say, God, what do, what do you want me to do? There was a time where a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. It says this. He says, he was four days ago. I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your arm, alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and call Simon here. 
whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. You see, Cornelius was living under the old covenant. He was a man that only knew the old covenant of God, but he was meditating on on the Lord, and he was praying, and he was fasting, and he was seeking the Lord. And in that moment, God showed up and said, you need Peter, and you need to listen to him. Why did he say it? Because Peter came and preached the gospel to Cornelius, and Cornelius got born again in this meeting. The Holy Spirit fell on them, and they were forever changed. Matter of fact, this, this is the time where the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles for the very first time. So the Gentiles in the room who've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can thank a man who was meditating on God, giving himself to God, who heard specific direction, you need the gospel that's in Peter's mouth, you need to hear what he said when he came, preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. You're here today because one man meditated on the word. I'm telling you, this is powerful. I recognize that in the room today, The idea of growing close to God, it seems really far off. Why? Because you really don't have a relationship with God through Christ. If that's you here today, I've got good news. I've been meditating on his word. I want you to know how he thinks about you. He loves you. I want you to know the truth of of God's word that all of us in this room, regardless of how long we've been walking with God, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have missed it. All of us have sinned. All of us don't measure up. Oh, but there is good news. The payment for sin, the payment for not measuring up, it's death. It's eternal separation from God. Oh, but there is eternal life through faith in Christ. There are people in here who could testify that we would be dead. We would be, we would be so far gone had it not been for an interruption of somebody who had heard from God who came and shared with us the truth of the gospel. I'm standing here today with a message from heaven. God is before you with open arms giving you this message today. Be reconciled to God. I'm not closing the door on you. I will wash you and cleanse you and make you new and give you all the victory that came through the cross. He'll do it for you today. If you're watching me online today, and you, you stumbled on this video, you stumbled on this stream, and you're like, man, I don't know why I'm, I don't know why I'm watching today. I want you to know that today Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. He's standing there, and he says, if you'll open the door, I will come in. That's a message for somebody today. I've heard his voice today. He's knocking on some hearts. If you'll open the door, you say, how do I open the door? It is repent. It's saying, God, I'm going to turn. 
I'm going to turn from my sin. I know I've been doing things that don't honor you. I know I've been sitting, lying, stealing, cheating. I know I've done things that don't honor you, God. I am repenting. I am turning from my old life, and I am turning to you. And now I believe that you sent Jesus, the spotless lamb, the perfect son of God, to die on the cross on my behalf. He was buried and raised again. The Bible says, if you believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth, you will be changed. Then the idea of walking in nearness with God doesn't seem like a far-fetched idea. You'll realize it's the very thing you were made for.